This is Emmanuel Today. Taking steps towards God's possible in your life. I want to go right into today's message in part one of our book of Joshua series. The title of my message is Capture Your Promises. Say that with me. Capture your promise. Turn to the person next to you and say, capture your promises. Joshua chapter 1, verse 1 says, After the death of Moses, the Lord's servant, the Lord spoke to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant. And he said, Moses, my servant is dead. Therefore, the time has come for you to lead these people, the Israelites, across the Jordan River into the land I am giving them. Wow, this is a powerful moment, and you'll understand why. I chose to go ahead and read that text right up front. When I look back at my own personal story and how I grew up, there's so many stops along the road of of God's development of his purposes in my life. When I grew up in, in my parents' home, my mom and dad, they trained me and I went through a lot of uh, discipline and a lot of learning. And, and uh, how many know that when you hit the teenage years, mom and dad don't seem so smart, and, uh, and I bucked against their, their desires for my life. But then, of course, I got arrested by God on a, on a youth group trip at one point where I submitted to the Lord. And, and man, that, also my parents became smart again. I just don't know how that happened. And, uh, you know, but when I look back, I can, I can recall some things that I picked up from my parents. My, my mom was faithful, and she taught me how to trust the Lord even when the circumstances around me didn't make sense, and how to just stay faithful. And she didn't whine or complain or talk uh, about things that she couldn't control. She just took it to the Lord. And my dad was a disciple-making machine. He still is. And, uh, and I learned from him the value of sacrificing as we moved families and borrowed pickups. And I was in fourth grade and I was moving pianos with my dad. I learned how to be strong and to lift the right way. But I also learned how um, discipleship takes time and it takes effort and it takes sacrifice of my time. You know, while I was in high school, God got a hold of me in such a way, I mentioned that moment, where I then began to serve underneath a great youth pastor, Jeff Grinnell, and Jeff spent so much time investing in the next generation, I picked up some things from him. For two years, I went business administration at a college out in, in Michigan before I moved here, and, and during those two years, I was a volunteer youth leader, and I learned from Jeff how to, to love people passionately and have fun with them, but I also learned that taking spiritual things seriously is a big deal. Like he really believed what the word said and he really went after God with his whole life. So that became a part of my story and then moved in 1991 out to Minnesota and uh, it just seems like things fly so fast, you know. And I got to Minnesota and I landed at Emmanuel Christian Center where I served under the founding pastor of this church, Pastor Mark Denyes. And while I was here, I was a volunteer youth leader for a couple years, and then I came on staff, and for 10 years as a youth pastor, I learned under Moses, if you will. I learned from this man who led our church for 43 years, and I watched how he prayed in morning prayer. I watched how he led, how he preached the word. I remember when I became a youth pastor, and I didn't know what to preach on given Wednesday nights, and he'd always say the same thing to me. Nate, when in doubt, preach the word. You'll never go wrong. It's the only thing eternal. And so I learned that, you know, 
preaching the word was just as important as being relevant. That I couldn't just throw all my effort and my time into having the coolest production for the teenagers that I was leading, but that I needed to make sure the word of God was a part of that because, you know, if we didn't have the word, it's like having all sugar and no protein. Uh, there's something missing in the whole thing. And so I learned from him. I learned as he led our congregation. We had seasons of time where there was revival in our church. And I remember people rushing the altars and, and, uh, and God doing incredible things in seasons of our church's story. Man, that was an amazing, amazing season for me. And then God sent me to serve underneath Dr. Gordon Anderson, the president of North Central. And while I served under Dr. Anderson, I discovered how how a true Pentecostal leader leads and they're not insecure with people that think different around them. And he was great at having people on his team that all were opposite thinkers and sometimes they had different opinions. And what I discovered as I watched him over the many years, the 10 years that I served under Dr. Anderson was that he could be in a room but he was convinced that he wasn't always the, the one that had all the gifts for everything. He believed that the spirit would move through other people in the room. And, and that his job as a leader was to facilitate what God would do amongst everybody. Man, what a powerful lesson even for me. He also taught me how to lead in a large organization and think in terms of empowering other people. And that's really played out into the story of where I am today. But each of these leaders also believed in me for fruit beyond the moments that I served with them. They believed in the future promises that God had for my life. I was a future-ready leader. In other words, my time with them was serving them, but I was a future-ready leader. A future-ready leader is someone who has potential with training to step into greater responsibility in the future. In other words, there's something beyond this moment. They're in training. We're all in training in one way or another. And when Jesus looks at you, he sees a future-ready leader. It doesn't matter what age you are or stage you are or if you left one job and you're now entering a new job or maybe you're an empty nester or maybe you're a teenager. We're all preparing for something. Even people who are in their 80s, come on, somebody, they are still preparing for something in the future. They don't know it all yet. God still has things for them in their future. And that's just the way God is. And there are promises in your future. There are things yet to be unlocked, untapped, things around the corner for you that are promises of God that are available for your future. Too many people give up on the promises for their life. They give up on their families. They stop dreaming, and they settle in the desert of their frustrations. And let me just say this today. You and I, our question is, will you capture the promises for your life, or will you give up? Because no matter where you're at, no matter the part of the story that you're in, Scripture is very clear. God has promises for your life and my life. He's not done yet. Your story is not over. So today, we begin a journey together as an Emmanuel family. And we're going to cover a series of the book of Joshua. And you and I are going to grow together. We're going to learn from what the Word of God has to say through this book and how it applies to our life today. And I want, you to, I want you to watch it. And even if you're gone, let us know you're watching it. Go on to our Facebook wall. Was a future-ready leader. And we're meeting him in the second half of his life. So something's happened before this moment. He is a future-ready leader. 
And not only that, there's other things involved in the story. This is not just a, a story, the book of Joshua, about Joshua. It's actually a story about God meeting with Israel and how he's leading Israel into the entire nation's process of promise. I want to give you a setting for this uh, whole book, and there's a little bit of a backstory you need to understand from Israel. For Israel, they had been delivered out of slavery, come across the Red Sea on dry ground, and now they were in the desert. But they did not go immediately into the promised land. In fact, it took 40 years for them to go somewhere it would have only took a month. And the reason why is they got out of Egypt, but Egypt hadn't gotten out of them. And see, God was doing a purifying process. Whatever their old life was like, the way the white life was ordered and who they served and what values were, God used those 40 years to shape in Israel who he wanted them to be. There was a time when they could have gone into the promised land, but out of 12 spies that were sent to spy the land out, only two of the 12 said, we can do this. That was Joshua and Caleb. Can you imagine me and Joshua and Caleb when the other 10 drowned out their voice? No, we can't do it. The people are, are giants in the land. We're like grasshoppers in their eyes. And they had all these obstacles. And because of the unbelief of their peer group, they weren't able to go into the promised land. And I want to pause right here to think about something. When you look at the Bible, how many of you have ever looked at the Bible and you're like, there's some really hard stuff to understand in here? There's some difficult stuff that doesn't make sense. When you're reading the book of Joshua, you're going to read about people that have been killed and murdered, devastated, and there was war. Anybody else looked at that and gone, I don't understand why this is in the Bible? But I want you to, I want you to think from a different vantage point. And the vantage point I want you to consider is how God is telling his story. Because you can look at the Bible, but the Bible should not be read as a Twitter post where all you do is read a little bit and think you understand the whole thing. Everything in the Bible is interconnected. It's not exactly chronological, but everything is connected to something else. You could read a verse or even a chapter, but if you don't understand the context, you could misread it. You could misunderstand it. You might not understand what's really going on. So God is telling his story. If you think about the Bible like this, and this is Genesis. Anybody know what the first part of Genesis is? In the... There you go. All right. And if you were to think about a timeline, and down here is Revelation, the last book. And Joshua is somewhere in here, in the first third of the Bible. When you see Genesis, you begin to see the story of how God is going after humanity. So you see him go after Abraham, or you see him go after Joseph, and he begins to share truth about who he is and who they are. When they start, they don't know much about God. So they're more like the people around them than they are about what God has made them to be. So what God will do is he will, he will show or reveal truth or revelation, and their eyes will be open to what God really thought, sometimes through a confrontation, sometimes through a mistake. And what will happen is their understanding begins to grow over time, okay? So as you travel along, we're now in Joshua. 
But there are future books that are laid out there. And you can look at the Psalms and, and you can go the, the prophets of the Old Testament. Then you go into the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we see Jesus. And even later after that, we've got Acts. We just got done a series on Acts. And then you got the epistles leading up to Revelation. But here's what happens along the way. With everything that you see in the scripture, they begin to learn more and more and more revelation about who God is. And it's like an unfolding of who God is, an unfolding of the promise. And as they move along, once something is revealed, once a truth is revealed, you don't go backward. Does that make sense? It doesn't nullify previous truth, it actually exposes it. So things like this, early in Genesis, you see people that are, have multiple spouses. Polygamy seems to be okay. Is polygamy okay for God? We don't know that God wants it to be one man and one woman together until later on in the story. That's more reflective of the culture polygamy is that God begins to speak into. And so the eyes are opened over time. And once you, you move along, by the time you get to the New Testament, you discover more and more of what God sees. It's dropped in the law in the Old Testament, but by the time you get to the New Testament, God says, if you even think in your heart, you've committed adultery. So all of a sudden, the, the law of the heart in the inner world becomes more and more true. And then as we move along in the New Testament and the Spirit is poured out, we see more and more and more revelation, and then lives have to change after the truth comes into their story. So it isn't that God was okay with all the stuff we feel uncomfortable with. It's that the people haven't yet understood how God's ways are. And God begins to unfold his truth over time. Are you with me? There's a biblical unfolding of the revelation of God. And once the truth is revealed, you don't go back. Now friends, we all have our own individual progressive story. Think about this. How many of you think differently now than you did 10 years ago? Some of you are a little bit older. How many of you would go back and you would make different decisions when you were a teenager? Why? Because you understand it differently now as you look backward, but you didn't get it. You thought your parents were stupid. You thought they didn't understand. You don't understand me, you know? Parents of teenagers have heard that a time or two. But we are, we're, God is revealing his truth to us as we go. 1 Corinthians 13, Paul said it this way. When I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child. But when I grew up, I put away childish things. Now we see things imperfectly, like puzzling reflections in a mirror. But then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know, know now is partial and incomplete. But then I will know everything completely, just as God now knows me completely. There is a process to change. This is why we can't judge everybody through the lens of what God's revealed to us. Even in the body of Christ, God is gonna bring people into the church. And you're gonna look at people and you're gonna go, why are they doing that? Don't they understand? They're not supposed to do that. God doesn't want them to do that. But the light bulb hasn't gone on in their life yet. You gotta have grace for people until the revelation hits them. There are consequences to anything that we do that's outside of God's law. But listen, friends, 
Thank the Lord he's patient with us, that he will work with us as we grow and he will change us. And by the way, if you're here today and you're looking at other believers and you're like, I could never be like that. It seems like they know everything. They know how to handle stuff. They've got such wisdom. And I look at myself and I go, I'm an idiot. And you look in your mirror and you're like, you're down on yourself. Friends, let me just tell you this. You're only looking at the end of the movie. There's previous stages to people's journey. Be willing to go on a journey with the Lord and your future will look different. It will look different. Now Joshua, Joshua has his own backstory. Israel had a backstory, but so did Joshua. See, Joshua was one of those spies with faith, he and Caleb. His name actually changed, if you read it in Numbers all the way into Joshua. His name originally meant one who saves, but Joshua means Yahweh saves. God is the one that saves through him. And by the way, Jesus' name is a variation of the name Joshua, Yeshua. So Jesus and Joshua have a lot in common. Now, Moses was the guy that Joshua served, and he was his assistant, if you will. One of the things that I love, and I actually did a lot of study on succession for my dissertation, so one of the people that I looked at real closely to transition was Moses to Joshua. The interesting thing about Joshua is everywhere you see Moses doing great things, Joshua was there. They come across on the um, dry ground across the Red Sea, and then there's these moments in the story of Israel where Moses goes up the mountain and comes down with the Ten Commandments. How many know those times? Guess who was with him going up the mountain? Joshua. Joshua got to see Moses at the greatest moments of his life. But he also got to see the horrible, angry, emotional side to Moses. Because there was a time when Moses was mad at everybody. He was mad at Israel, and he, he, he just wanted to give up on them. And so there was a moment when they were crying out for water, and he goes and he strikes the rock, and God didn't tell him to. And because it was done out of his emotional anger, God wouldn't allow Moses to go into the promised land. Israel, all along, had been promised that there would be this land that they'd go through, their promised land. And Moses couldn't go there. Joshua saw all of that. So you got to imagine, this guy has gone through 40 years of amazing tutorial activity. He's learned many, many different things. And now he's heard the message, Moses is dead. It's go time, baby. It's time for you to step in and lead the people into the promised land. Look at verse three of Joshua chapter one. It says, I promise you what I promised Moses. Wherever you set foot, you will be on land that I have given you. From the Negev wilderness in the south to the Lebanon mountains in the north, from the Euphrates River in the east to the Mediterranean Sea in the west, including all the land of the Hittites, no one will be able to stand against you as long as you live for I will be with you as I was with Moses. I will not fail you or abandon you. <sighs> Shundai, this is an amazing moment. Because this is where not only previously he was serving Moses and God talked to Moses. What do you want me to do, Moses? Oh, whatever. Now is the moment where God says, I'm talking to you. And whatever comes next, you need to know, 
didn't come because it was just an instruction sheet and a job description handed from one leader to the next. This was something from God to Joshua. He was speaking to Joshua. You and I have promises that God has put in your heart, dreams for your children, dreams for your own life. Things have happened along the way. Maybe you've messed up. Maybe somebody frauded you. Maybe you, uh, you went through a lot of difficulty in your story. And you might be at the point where you're like, I don't know if those promises will ever happen. But if you know God was the one that gave you the promise, you can count on it, baby. Remember, it was him that gave it to you, not your own little desires and dreams. It was God that put it in you. Joshua's at the point, he's hearing from God, and he's discovering God was going to be with him as, as he was with Moses. Literally everything that was promised to Moses is now Joshua's opportunity to capture. Chapter 1, we learn something very important to anyone who wants to capture the promises that God has for us. How many want to capture the promise God has for you? Come on, how many you really want? You really want what God wants for you, okay? But I want you to look at closely at what God does with and speaks into Joshua's life. Verse 6, it says, be strong in what? For you are the one who will lead these people to possess all the land I swore to their ancestors I would give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the instructions Moses gave you. Do not deviate from them, turning either to the right or to the left. Then you will be successful in everything you do. Study this book of instruction continuously. Meditate on it day and night so that you will be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. This is my command. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. This is a moment when God is speaking very strongly to Joshua. He says, be strong and and courageous. Say that with me. Be strong and courageous. Why did God say that to Joshua? Because capturing the promise would require strength and courage. You won't capture your promise without strength and courage. Israel was used to following Moses. Now they had to follow a new leader. Anybody know what it's like to work for a new boss, getting a new coach, changing companies, getting a new rhythm, having a new parent because you're having a blended family and it's a step-parent. Everything's new. And when everything is new, not everyone buys into the new leader. Not in a passive-aggressive state. Some people think Minnesota's a state of hockey. It's the state of passive aggressive. Come on, somebody. <laughs> and I'm now a Minnesotan. I've been here long enough. But let's be honest. Just because somebody has the title doesn't mean we let them lead us. Sure, I'll do whatever you want. Got a new leader in town, new boss, new promotion, new person. And then there's a lunch break. And everybody talks about that new leader. What do you think about what they're doing? Got a new pastor. Pastor never did that. Got a change of pastors. I don't feel as comfortable with this one. I was comfortable with the old one. Sometimes 
if we're honest, we're actually intimidated because we're filling new shoes. And we can feel overwhelmed because we're in new territory. And on top of that, the only environment that the people Joshua would lead, the only environment they knew was the desert. They only knew that territory, and he was leading them into unfamiliar territory. And he'd lead people who handled change in different ways. Some like it, others throw their heels in the ground and resist what is best for them. And unity takes work in unfamiliar territory. Natural forces work to create disunity. And it wasn't probably uncommon for Joshua to hear people say, Moses didn't do it that way. And he didn't have the ability to rely on, well, last time I did this, you guys followed me. It was all new. You know when you go into new things, people that are graduating right now, you're gonna have new territory. You're gonna go into a new story. Some of you change jobs or change locations or there's a life change, a health change. Now you're going into new territory. You know what? You need to work hard to fight for unity in your relationships. Because I'll tell you what, the devil will do everything he can to split your family up, split your marriage up, split parents up from their kids. Solid biblical faith, redwood faith relationships can be destroyed. When you go into a new season, be ready to fight for unity because you've got to be strong and courageous to do that. We're in a world, friends, I don't know why it is, but we're in an Instagram world. We only want to present our best parts. We can go through 10 pictures go, I don't want that one, it makes me look fat, don't want this one, I'm not smiling good enough, don't want this one because the person next to me looks better than I do, and then I can throw on the filter on it and make it look a little bit better. We're used to presenting our best, even our fake best. But Joshua had to be strong because he knew who he really was. He had to be strong because he really did have the ability to be weak. You and I need to not just put our Instagram front forward, we need to be the people that recognize where our weakness is and take it to the Lord. This is what Paul did in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. He said three different times I begged the Lord to take it away, a thorn in his flesh. Each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness, so now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses, in the insults, in the hardships, in the persecutions, in the troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Whew. What if we acknowledged where we're weak and we brought it to God and say, God, I'm really insecure. Really, I'm bothered by somebody else's success because it makes me feel like a loser. And what if I took that to God in my weakness, I acknowledged it, and God had an ability to take the insecurity out, I discover who I am in him, and now instead of a weakness, it gives, he's strong in me, and I can cheer on the people around me. Thanks for listening to Emmanuel Today. For more messages, visit emmanuelcc.org.